for those who have heard me share before, realize kind of a little bit of what will be coming in the sense of if you want to take notes, that would be awesome. doesn't do anything for me, but it might help you, and there's going to be a bit of information. And so I'm going to try to be efficient with the time that we have. So anyway, um, a few scriptures just to lay as a foundation to this question. We'll start with Galatians 2, verse 16. And uh, I'll put that up there from the New American Standard. It says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ Jesus, not by the works of the law, since, well, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Ephesians, or yeah, Philippians 3, verse 9. Paul again, Paul wrote both Galatians and Philippians, and then in a moment we'll be in Ephesians. But anyway, Philippians 2, verse 9 says, or sorry, 3, my bad, 3, verse 9. That we would be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. And Ephesians 2. Uh, I'm not sure what I wrote on that paper back there, but I'm just going to start with... Uh, eh. Do I have two back there? Or do you have two that you're able to put up? Oh, four. That'll work. We'll go with that. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trans trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast." And I think, yes, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I'm just going to touch on uh, briefly, uh, both this week with what I'm preaching, and then next week, Daryl will be sharing. And we're kind of bookends on this topic of works and grace and salvation and how all this goes together. So I'm not going to elaborate too much on it, but for those who might look at verse 9, which was just before... Oh, yeah, okay. This will work. Our salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, but then there's this four good works that's in verse 10. That's referring to the expe expectation for us to walk out, to live as new creatures. We're saved. We have this salvation experience. God comes into our heart, and we are open. Our, our lives spiritually have just become awakened to the things of God. And so this you know, again, it's not of works, but there is this thing that's talking about four good works. That's the expectation for us to walk out, to live as new creatures in Christ Jesus. That there is evidence of the transformation that occurred through the Holy Spirit in our lives when we received Christ. It is God who works in us now to will and to do his good pleasure. And so, again, if we get this thing of thinking that we're working for salvation, there's a couple problems with that that I'll just touch on briefly here. If we're working for our salvation, doesn't that essentially mean that Christ didn't finish the job? If by works we're earning our way to heaven, that means that Christ didn't finish the job. 
I don't think any of us would be that bold to actually state that, but yet that's the implications of that type of thinking. So now I'm going to add my own works to his work. He no longer is the one who paid the full penalty because I'm paying part of it in my good works. Is that what we're really trying to, that's, that's basically logically thinking through this process of we're working for our salvation. That's a big problem. Second, where in the Bible does it ever tell you what kind of good works you should do? How do I know? Any good old work? Anything work? If I give something to a blind man or if I help an elderly person across the street, is that enough? If we're doing, if our salvation is by good works, it never tells us how many works. It doesn't tell us what kind of work. So again, those are some simple problems that um, the enemy, of course, doesn't really want to have us think on, but are appropriate to be able to keep in mind. Or if you encounter someone through conversation, that's, you could just, just get that, the Holy Spirit just kind of prompts you that they're in this like striving, earning, working type of thing to get salvation. These are some simple things to like keep in mind, especially if they're familiar with the Bible and they're familiar with this, you know, they're, they're of, a, of a Christian kind of perspective, but yet they're caught up in this works thing. Some simple things to keep in mind. Uh, next slide, please. So because of this whole sin nature and that we've, we've been separated from God because of sin, we inherit the sin nature, we have a natural, that sin, disposition that's towards sin, our own thought patterns which are opposed to God. And for time's sake, I'm not going to go into these different verses, but these things are touched on, no, don't worry about it, the um, Romans 4, 3 through 8, and then the next slide. I think there's three verses that I put with this. First Peter 1, 18 through 21, and then the third one. First Corinthians 1, 20 through 24, and then jump down to 30 through 31. Again, if you're taking notes, and I think they might be with the spiritual formation sheet. But anyway, these are some things that highlight this reality that we're, our own thinking does not line up with the way God thinks. It can't because we're caught up in our own sinful nature, but that's the kind of the way when we do our own thing, that's what we're prone to do. It's our own thing. It's not thinking and walking the way God would have us to walk. And for a, a simple, fun illustration, um, those that know me, it's pretty easy to figure I'm like a car guy. And so for this illustration, let's just say that Pastor Dan... Somehow something works out where Pastor Dan is able to miraculously save the life of this little boy. Now, this little boy is a very special little boy. He's the grandson of this very rich guy. And so this rich guy is like, you saved my grandson's life. It's amazing. I mean, it shouldn't have happened, and you saved his life. So, he, yeah, he, he says, as a gift... He has a Bugatti Chiron. He's going to give Dan a brand new Bugatti. This guy's rich. Sticker price, $3 million to buy this Bugatti. Now, yeah, now Dan, Dan, Dan may not be much of a car guy, but where's Andy? He's, he's, oh, there, Andy. He's going to call a friend. And Andy is like, well, dude, an oil change. You're going to need your Bugatti to get an oil change that's $20,000, $25,000. Part of that is because there are 16 different oil plugs. It's like an insane engine. It's a 16-cylinder, like, twin, twin turbo. It's all this stuff. I won't go into it all because of time. But anyway, that's, that's your price for an oil 
change. Next. Now, Bugatti says you have to get new tires every 2,500 miles. Now, this car is able to go from zero to 250 miles an hour and back down to zero in 42 seconds. Yeah. So anyway, and it's, it's, you, don't throw, you don't throw Sam's Club tires on this car. Michelin Pilot Sport 2S, $38,000 $38, every 2,500 miles. That's the price of a new Toyota Camry every 2,500 miles that you drive this Bugatti. And Dan's like, ah, I'm not sure that I can really afford to keep this car that this guy's going to give me. Now, beyond that, Andy continues and says, no, well, there's more. Every 10,000 miles, so after you put four set of tires, well, you need new rims because there's a lot of stress and everything. This car is like this super car. So anyway, $50,000 just for a new set of wheels every 10,000 miles. And next, oh yeah, car insurance. You're gonna have to have this car insured, of course. 2,000 to 4,000 per month to keep this thing insured. So we're looking at $150,000 a year to have a Bugatti Chiron. So Dan's like, you know, I'm not quite sure that my church salary will cover this car. I don't know. I... So this guy, now I mentioned he's rich. He's actually a billionaire. He says, Dan, don't worry about it. I'll cover all those fees for you. Dan would probably say, oh, okay. Right? Now where I'm going to go next with this, Dan would not do. Andy wouldn't let him, and Dan wouldn't do it anyway. But let's just say, how tragic would it be for the owner of one of these cars to be like, you know, I don't feel like paying for the oil change. And part of why it's so expensive is because you literally, unless you take it to the dealership, you cannot access the engine. There is no like simple lift the hood, check the oil, dipstick. No, it's all encased. These cars are made of carbon fiber, all this crazy stuff, right? Well, carbon fiber, okay, we'll just get a sawzall. I'll just get any old jack, jack it up and hammer it stuff and I'll, I'll make, like how tragic, how ridiculous would that be, right? You just, okay, now with all of that numbers and everything like that, that pales in comparison to the price that Christ paid for us at Calvary. And then when we think that we have to do something of our own works to make it right, to make it better, to pay back, to whatever, it's basically kind of tantamount to that illustration there of going and just, ah, I can do it. I'll just do it. I need to do it. And so, the, again, with that sin nature, that's something that the enemy really loves to pull on us this idea that our, whether it be through achievements, whether it be through our, our self-esteem, whether it be our search for significance, there's all these different things where we want to have our value proven by something we can do. And next slide, please. So in, in preparing for the sermon, on the issue of self-esteem and where our culture is at and has been growing, gravitating over the last couple of decades. But anyway, psychology today, where work has traditionally been the source of self-esteem, that link is now endangered. The one thing that's most likely to suffer today in today's workplace is precisely what most of us hope to get there. 
self-esteem in the workplace. Modern workplace presents some formidable psychological hazards. The pace of work is so fast that we rarely, one will rarely stop to acknowledge even excellent performance. The demand for productivity has grown so significantly that no one feels they're doing enough. Everyone looks at the undone workload and feels inadequate. We work an unprecedented number of hours, encroaches on our downtime, and deprives us of the most restorative experience connecting with self, friends, and family. Added pressures have contributed to a general rise in aggression and rudeness in the workplace. That'll help a lot. Rudeness anywhere makes people feel devalued. In part, rudeness is the behavior fallout of the widespread loss of loyalty of employee or employers to employees, and that's accompanied by rapid changing market conditions. Many young workers not trained in social and communication skills challenge authority inappropriately and assume entitlement unfulfillable against the demands of increased productivity. So all that basically goes to say that, that we're, we're just not getting this thing right and we're messing up more, but yet people are wanting to, striving for more of this thing of wanting to feel significant. My self-esteem needs to be, and we're going in all the wrong directions. God hasn't wired us for that. And we're not, as we grow and mature and realize more and more that we're to walk in his grace and experience his grace, and that his grace is there. It's not something we have to strive at. Ephesians 4, and again, I'm just going to uh, reference them. We're not going to read them for time, but these passages in Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 7 and then 11 through 16, talk about the grace that God has for us. Actually, can we put the, I think I'm doing fairly good for time. Can we put those up, actually? Sorry for that. Ephesians 4, verse 4. So I just want to really kind of camp on this for a moment. It's, yeah, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all. In verse 7. By great, oh, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then jump down to 11. There, uh, no, verse 11, sorry. He gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Next verse. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. But until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by humankind, by craftiness, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head, even unto Christ, for whom the whole body jointly and held together by every joint, uh, by every, yeah, together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Thank you. So I go back to the, uh, the, the notes thing. So what I saw or what, what God just really put on my heart through those verses is that we're called to be growing and maturing in his body. His body has many different members and so it's not really a I don't have to worry about uh, 
an attack. I don't have to worry about the enemy trying to play head games with me with an attack of my self-esteem if I can't play drums as well as Peter or Howie or I can't sing like Sean or guitar. Like it, It's not a comparison thing. We're called together to be a body. And God has equipped each and every one of us with a unique part. My thumb doesn't have to worry about seeing like my eye, and my eye doesn't have to worry about the carrying the load like my ankles, and you know what I mean? There, there's different parts, there's different functions. And it's his grace that's able to flow through and mature us, and even the same way as like baby Hannah, there is, going to, there, is a, there is an expected and regular growth rate that her body will develop and mature at. There, there's, there's some variances, there's some latitude here and there, but I'm sure that as good parents, they have, they've been looking into some things and okay, well, at what age will she, you know, I think crawling is already, that's a done, no, no, okay, all right, no, I was, anyway. There's just, there's a regular thing and they're like, you know, encouraging, eagerly awaiting, but also encouraging. And like when she starts to take her first steps, which will be quicker than, you know, you realize Nathan's 16 and like, wow, what? Anyway, um, there isn't that like, there's not that reprimand or anything like that with the like faltering on the first steps. As parents, you're just naturally, you're just like thrilled and like all the encouragement and everything like that. God is the same way towards us. As we walk in his grace, there'll be times where we'll drop the ball, we'll mess up, but he's always going to be there to encourage us. So I have a, a few questions here, six, I think, um, to just to make note of as a little bit of a check because it's so easy for us to, again, fall into our own thinking and our own striving mentality. God's called us to walk in grace and to flow in his grace and to be sensitive to his spirit. So, some questions just for this grace or grind, just, just hammering it out, just striving. Number one, financial anxiety. Feeling desperate about money, your thoughts are constantly consumed by how much money you're making or not making at the workplace. Second, prayerlessness. Your prayers are infrequent or rushed because you're, oh, and you're miss, missing an essential fuel for your faith. Danny even touched on that this morning, just that like status quo type of thing. Next one, lack of sleep. <laughs> More obvious sign is lack of sleep due to stress. Less obvious signs when you're not sleeping because you're excited about the work that you do and simply won't stop working or you're constantly dissatisfied with the amount of time you have to be available to work. <laughs> the analysis paralysis. You feel confused and overwhelmed and unable unable to move forward with business decisions, work decisions, due to frequent overthinking and continuous analyzing. Five, no boundaries. You must always be on the ready to help. You make yourself available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Your smartphone is close by at all times. You may even have fears that your ability to be successful at work or with other accomplishments is threatened by the time you need to spend with your loved ones. And lastly, no peace, no joy. Tired, worn out, agitated, carrying the stress of everyday ups and downs in your life and relationships. There is no break. And we won't read them, but those are some references that give the, the, the counter to that. It's going and realizing it's, it's not, all that weight is not on us. God is by our side. 
as we step back from things, we're able to be sensitive to his prompting, to his leading. We're able to flow in his grace. Yes, so uh, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, speaking of the, I'll read it. I'm not sure exactly which translation this is, but anyway. Jesus said to him, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I have humble and gentle spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now from the message, same verse or set of verses. Are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do things, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And again, that, that's the, that rhythm of grace is a very key God up here. So rhythm is from the Greek word, rhythmos may not pronounce that right, but anyway, it means measured flow or movement. If the rhythm is unforced, which it, in the message translation it talked about that, the unforced rhythm of grace, it simply means it's not forced or imposed. It's rather, rather it is a natural flow. And since it's God's grace we're talking about, it's a supernatural flow. In short, when you keep company, abide with Jesus, he will teach you how to flow supernaturally in all aspects of your life and relationship. Okay. Yeah. So it's in the answer lies in keeping intimate with Jesus, keeping a line of two-way conversation going, allowing him to speak to you through his word by the Holy Spirit. The answer also lies in living from his rest. Rest is an ongoing awareness of the presence of an unchanging and all-powerful God in your life. It's not something that you want to have to, it's not something that you have to strive for. It's simply something that you realize and awaken to. You know, the very real, the reality, real reality. Anyway, God is there. He's walking with us day by day. He knows what tomorrow will bring. He knows the very hairs on your head. There's, there's so many amazing truths, promises that we are able to be refreshed and encouraged by through his word, the promises of God. And he simply ask us to be sensitive to him and his presence as we go through life and as we go through the daily, daily things because he's got a much bigger, better picture of things than, than we do. And it's not, again, it's not just in, in our spinning our wheels to try to accomplish something in a sense of trying to measure up or trying to earn or trying to prove. Any of those types of things, as you get those things in your brain, realize that that's part of an attack of the enemy. You know, well, I don't measure up. Well, no, you're not called to measure up. You're simply called to walk in his grace and to receive his grace and to realize your worth, your value, everything like that. It's already been determined by Christ at Calvary. I came across this quote that was really cool from C.S. Lewis. The first job each morning consists in shoving all other voices all back and listening to that other voice, basically God's voice, taking that other point of view, God's point of view, Letting the other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And in John 15, 4 and Colossians 1, 27, they both talk about that, essentially that 
I, I don't think it's actually the be still and know that I'm God, but that element of realizing that we need to be, we, we can't afford basically not to step back and realize his lordship, realize his presence in us. John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So then God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we have that within us, seated in heavenly places. So all these things are, are, are available to us, but it, it comes down to the, Paul talks about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's, that's what uh, is set before us. That's what God would have us to, and I'm like completely there for understanding that challenge and understanding the, the uh, frequency at which I fall short. <laughs> Even saying it that way seems just a little weird because it's like, oh, I fall short, like I have to be doing more. But it's not about really doing more. It's understanding more his presence and his grace that's always there for us. So, amen. So I'll just uh, pray and turn it back over to Dan. Thank you. Lord, again, we just thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. And Lord, I just ask again, just as we close the service, Lord, that you would be faithful to water the seed, Lord, the seed of your word, um, the things that you stirred in our hearts and our mind. And for as we go through and, and think on through the spiritual formation sheet and talk in life groups or w whatever avenue, Lord, that you would be faithful to, again, just water that the seed that's, that you desire to plant and mature in our lives through this word, through your word, through the Bible. Help us just to receive and walk in your grace and to be able to die to our old nature that would want to pull us into striving and spinning our wheels. Lord, we can't do anything to work or to earn or to establish our value, our significance. Lord, it's all in you, and we thank you for that. In the name of your son, amen.